Today on Legal Ease, we are going to be talking about Biden's beclownment over the debt limit. Hey, greetings, everybody. Welcome back once again to Legalese. As always, I am your host, Bob. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Now, if you happen to be new to my channel, let me bid a special welcome to you. This is a podcast where we're going to be discussing all things constitutional law, as well as current events in other areas of law, politics, and culture. So today, I want to talk with you all briefly about the debt ceiling. Now, this isn't going to be a terribly long video because I don't have uh, terribly much to say about this uh, because the fact is I'm really not an economist or a fiscal policy expert. Uh, and unlike uh, Washington politicians or members of the corporate media, I have no intention of trying to pretend I'm something I'm not. Now, I certainly have my own strong opinions on the matter, and I'm pretty damn sure I'm right, or it wouldn't be my opinion, but... The fact is, uh, it, on those aspects of this discussion, there are people more qualified than me to speak uh, to, you know, matters of fiscal policy. However, there are constitutional issues at play here, and this is what I want to talk about today, which is some of the ridiculous opinions that we have been hearing from the White House uh, and from rank-and-file Democrats as well, who will say ridiculous things such as the debt limit, is unconstitutional, or Joe Biden, who has been pushing this really uh, absurd opinion that the 14th Amendment provides a means of circumventing the limit the Constitution places on all bills concerning the raising of revenue that they must come from the House of Representatives. This is what I want to talk about. Is the debt ceiling indeed unconstitutional, and is the 14th Amendment in any way relevant to any of these issues? Now, to a certain degree, the answer to these questions should be obvious just based on the flippant and pedantic language that is being used by the people who are trying to justify doing something that has never been done with the 14th Amendment in its roughly 155 or so years of existence. Uh, for example, we have uh, Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman uh, Dick Durbin, who has been speaking out about this, and uh, Dickie D had to say that I personally feel that we should test that, and I think that the language is very explicit in that amendment. But the fact is, if Dickie D really was so confident that Biden had the authority and that the language was so explicit, the fact is there really would be no need for him to even address an issue of testing the constitutionality. This is a garbage argument. Likewise, there is, of course, Senator uh, Elizabeth Warren, who had this to say, quote, The 14th Amendment is not anyone's first choice. The first choice is that Republicans raise the debt ceiling because the United States government never, ever, ever, ever defaults on its legal obligations. But if Kevin McCarthy is going to push the United States over a cliff, then it becomes the president's responsibility to find an alternative path. Of course, uh, if Lizzie Warren actually believed that this is how the 14th Amendment was meant to be used, why wouldn't it be her first choice? 
I realize that Washington politicians tend to develop an allergy to the Constitution where its mere mention causes them to break out in lies and excuses. But the fact is, on those very, very rare occasions where the Constitution actually does clearly support a politician's claim, they can't wait to wrap themselves in that genuine authority. The reason they don't want to do this is because they understand the bullshit inherent in their own argument. Now, for one thing, it's because failing to raise the debt limit does not cause default. It causes the government to operate on a balanced budget until it reaches an agreement that allows them to steal even more future prosperity for the sake of our continued present gluttony. Though, it's understandable why a government who has made the decision to forego all fiscal responsibility in perpetuity would be very nervous about people coming to the potential realization that government operating on a balanced budget is even a possibility. After all, who knows, we might even insist that they continue to practice fiscal responsibility, which I'm sure is a truly terrifying thought for any politician whose career is built on outright bribery of the people through this increased level of theft, inflationary money printing, and borrowing large sums of money they clearly never have any intention to pay back. Never mind the fact that this idea we have never defaulted on our debt is just an outright lie. We have, in fact, defaulted on our debt about five times in the past in the history of our country, but really more on point is the fact that the debt ceiling is not unconstitutional, and the 14th Amendment provides no authority for the president to unilaterally circumvent the existing debt ceiling. Now, the thing is, these are not, these aren't really new arguments, although I can't ever remember hearing them discussed uh, in the mainstream quite as much as we have. In the past, I've certainly heard um, educated idiots like Lawrence Tribe of Harvard Law School making arguments about how uh, there is an unconstitutionality to the debt limit and talking about the ability of the 14th Amendment to circumvent it, but uh, this current resurfacing of this myth seems to have gained far more attention uh, in the mainstream than I have ever seen it gain in years past. So the problems with these arguments are the same problems we always seem to confront whenever we find someone claiming that every policy they like is constitutional, and every policy they dislike is unconstitutional. The problem is that when a politician wants to weaponize the Constitution, they will cite it, but never quote it. And this leads the people who agree with them and who insist that politician is correct about what the Constitution does or does not support. This is a decision that they raise based entirely on personal preference in favor of a particular policy, which causes them to cite the Constitution but not actually read it. Now, this problem is never more true than when it comes to the 14th Amendment. So the 14th Amendment was ratified in 1868, soon after the Civil War. It is easily the longest amendment ever adopted because it was meant to address a multiplicity of issues. Now, one reason for this amendment was to ensure that future Congresses, even if dominated by members of the former Confederate States, would still honor the Union Civil War debt. 
Now, I have done other videos on the 14th Amendment in the past, uh, and I will put links to those on the uh, show notes page for this episode today if you want to go watch them, and they will give you a very good background on uh, the just the basics of the full amendment itself. But the amendment has five sections, and for what we need to talk about today, it's sections four and five that are relevant to our discussion. So that's what we're going to look at, and that's what we're going to talk about. So here is the pertinent language in section four. It says, The validity of the public debt of the United States, authorized by law, shall not be questioned. And Section 5 says, The Congress shall have the power to enforce, by appropriate legislation, the provisions in this article. So, with those two sections in mind, let's consider what the language here actually says. There's really two key points here. The first one is that the validity of the U.S. public debt shall not be questioned. This means that the federal government may not use any pretext for refusing to pay off debt instruments such as savings, bonds, and treasury bills. Now, this amendment also grants Congress power to pass laws to ensure our obligations are met. Now, uh, let's consider what this doesn't say. So, the 14th Amendment doesn't say the government must borrow more money to pay off existing debt. Congress may meet its obligations from existing revenue. It also doesn't say that Congress must change legal limits on borrowing. And although it does grant some powers to Congress, it grants none to the President, other than to enforce the laws enacted by Congress. And this is because the Constitution requires that the President uh, according to Article 2, Section 3, quote, take care that the laws be faithfully executed, end quote. And one of those laws is that the president must enforce the national debt limit. And this isn't a mere technicality. The principle that the government's financial powers are lodged in a representative legislature rather than in the executive is central to our political system. This is an ideal that people died for. Now, Section 4 both repudiates the Confederate debt and promises to honor the U.S. debt. Section 4 doesn't address a default or another failure to honor terms of a debt contract. It bars repudiation. A debtor who is late on a payment isn't questioning the debt's validity. He is merely tardy. To my knowledge, no one on either side of this debate has suggested that the U.S. repudiate its debt. Further, even if one assumes that the 14th Amendment bars debt defaults, it nowhere authorizes the president to take whatever measures he deems necessary to prevent default. It no more empowers him to take such measures than it does you or me. As per the Constitution, Congress, not the President, has the power to borrow money on the credit of the United States, as it says in Article 1, Section 8. If the Constitution bars default and more money is needed to prevent default, Congress must act. The President can't issue debt 
on his own say-so. So insofar as the 14th Amendment obligates the president to act to ensure the debts are paid, this would require the president to prioritize paying such obligations over making other appropriations. Now, if Congress fails to raise the debt ceiling, the only reason there would be a default is if the executive fails to pay the interest on the debt as it comes due. But if the executive branch believes that there is a constitutional requirement to pay the interest, why would it even consider refusing to do so? To my knowledge, there is no law that prevents the executive from prioritizing interest payments above other spending. Now, in fact, University of Virginia law professor uh, Shakrishna Prakash has put forward a fairly compelling argument that having by statute pledged the faith of the United States government, Congress has implicitly prioritized the government for the payment to it has prioritized the payment of the interest and principal if the debt ceiling isn't raised. In that case, the Treasury, it would stand to reason, should pay the interest as it is due and spend less than Congress appropriated. Now, that would seem to be the best solution in the wake of a mismatch between total inflows, which would be taxes and new borrowing, and Congress's desired spending. Now, whether that is the wisest fiscal policy for government to adopt uh, is a debate that I will leave to people more qualified than myself to have, but that does strike me as the most legally sound argument about how to proceed, at least in the short term. Not only does the president lack the authority to disregard the debt ceiling, he also lacks the constitutional authority to borrow funds without congressional authorization. Anyways, that is really actually all I had for you guys today. Uh, I did want to uh, let you know about some cool uh, upcoming news that I have going on. Because in a couple days, I am going to be talking with uh, Anthony Sanders of the Institute for Justice about his new book that just came out earlier this month, Baby Ninth Amendments, uh, How Americans Embrace Unenumerated Rights and Why It Matters. And because my recent episode on the meaning of the Federal Ninth Amendment had been a viewer-suggested topic for discussion, and because that video ended up generating uh, an inordinate number both of views as well as a lot of great discussion about that subject in the video comment section, I, I thought you guys might have some good ideas or good questions that you would like me to bring up when I talk to Anthony about the phenomenon of Baby Ninth Amendments as well. So, if you do have uh, any questions or any comments about it, you can leave uh, a comment either on this video, or if you want to head over to my original Ninth Amendment video and leave a comment there, or, as always, you can send them to me in an email. Uh, the email address for this show is just bob at legaleeshow.com. Now, also, uh, Anthony's book is for sale for a hard copy, or if you want an ebook is actually available for free uh, to download. So, and, and it's really a fantastic book. I read it. I absolutely loved it. I, I'm sure you will too. 
Uh, and I'm sure my discussion with him, which will be my next episode, uh, which will be coming out sometime early next week, will be very interesting. So uh, make sure you are subscribed to the channel so you always get updates when new episodes come out. You can subscribe right here on YouTube or you can go to my newsletter page, which is illegallyshow.com, and sign up to get notifications sent right to your inbox when new content comes out. So, yeah, that is really all I have for you guys today. Uh, I have been Bob for Legalese, talking about the debt limit. And, of course, it's always Cartago Galenda Est. Mercury. <laughs>